All right, David Marsh, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Awesome. So proud of you, Brad. I love that you are got this going. It's been, uh, a, I know, a long thought process to do this, and I've really been enjoying your podcast so so far. I think that exactly what I thought how you would be with these podcasts you, you've been delivering, and you're getting stuff out of people that I don't hear uh, out of most people who do podcasting, and, and congratulations, and uh, really excited to be here with you. Well, I appreciate it. There's a couple of people that were really pushing me to do this, and you were one of them. Um, there was a couple of former swimmers at Auburn who, who were like, Brett, you should really get into this. And I, and I kind of had some in-depth conversations with them, but I certainly was talking to you along the way, and, and you kept pushing me and pushing me, and I just didn't believe it. Um, I didn't I didn't know if I even wanted to do it, but, you know, I, I felt like I just – I really enjoy conversations that I have with you. I enjoy them all the time. And then, uh, you know, we, we got to – traveling a little bit with the ISL and having these amazing conversations with people like Lenny Kreiselberg and Jack Roach and just I'm always just amazed at the people I run into and the ease of the conversation um and and then all the all the superstar athletes we know you know like the current and the former and and those and so I always just want people to sit in and listen to what I'm hearing sometimes I'm like I wish I wish some other people were here just to listen to this right now and so so I appreciate you pushing me into this. I wanted you to be my first guest and we tried to make it happen about 30 <laughs> times, but you're a busy man and you're all over the place. I think at the time you were off to Israel and so it was hard to pin you down. But um, at, at that time, I, for me personally, I just needed to get going. Otherwise I was never going to do this. So Absolutely. I was like, I just called Jack. So Jack. Been, you, been great so far. That's, Jack's the perfect first guy. And to start, yeah. to start with Yoda, everybody after that's going yeah. uh, to be downhill, downhill a little bit more. He's so wise and, yeah. in so many ways and anybody listening right now that hasn't heard the jack one go back and listen to it very important that you do and uh, and i'm sure as you do volume two of jack there'll be more stuff so uh this, this is excellent brett and uh, happy to be here well listen you um have had uh as big an influence on my life as my father you know uh i i have always referred to you as my second father and just like your father, sometimes you love him, sometimes you hate him, you know, but we've had our ups and downs in our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you, I, I always come back to the fact that you gave me a chance um, when there was no other chances in my life. Like I was at the end of my chances. I had missed the Olympic team in 96. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was, I was very much at a standstill. And um, the reason why I'm sitting here today is because of you. And I, and I, and, and I don't know, I mean, I'm sure I've told you that a hundred times, but I'll, I need to tell you a hundred more, you know? Well, so thank you. Actually, I think it was Jay that brought you to the pool. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when, when uh, you wandered onto the Auburn pool deck, uh, sort of randomly, it was, uh, you know, it, it re really does turn out to be one of the, one of the cool things when I, when I look back at so many things that have happened in, in my coaching career and in my life, you look back and you say, man, God had a plan. And there was this, there's just a plan and, and uh, it's playing itself out. And, and so it's been a lot of fun, and you're certainly a huge part of that, Brett. And and uh, you were the leader of my uh, the, the first championship team Auburn ever had in its history, other than the 1958 football team that tied for the championship. And then we went on to win more championships, and even football picked up some. And now Equestrian's a dominant team. Uh, so it's been been fun watching uh, Auburn grow, but uh, especially you grow and, and uh, you know, as, as, a, as a, a father of children and, and the discussions we had over Trudy over the years, it's just been uh, wonderful to watch, you know, you grow as a person and to take this 
uh, format and bring it and share it with uh, people. Um, and I'm sure you'll get some cool stuff in our conversation here today as we, as we go forward. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things we can talk about and we've got a, we've got a lifetime of things, but one of the, the first time I met you, I remember a Bill Pilsick walking down the pool deck towards me and, uh, and asking me, Hey, uh, you know, what, what are you doing? I said, is the head coach around? I just want to have a quick chat with him. And you were down the other end coaching the team. And, uh, and he, and he was kind of like, yeah, he's kind of busy right now, but you know, do you want to write your times down maybe? And, um, you know, he, he can, he can call you at another point or something like that, you know? So I remember writing my times down and then he took them back to you and I watched him take the times back and you kind of looked at the times and then you looked up. And then you made your way down the pool deck. <laughs> I said, I like, stop practice right away. Yeah. <laughs> I might want to I, talk I to that, him. Yeah, Bill Pilsick was my buffer at that moment. Although he was a world champion in the uh, 50 freestyle, he was still the assistant coach and, and, uh, and knew that he needed to sort of buffer people. And, and it, you know, when it said 22, whatever it was in the mm. 50, and, and then it, and it looked like it wasn't short course yards, I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I need to go talk to that guy. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you had it, you had it clicking, which I fell into a really lucky situation back then, but like in terms of at that point in time, it was just about to roll. You know, we were, we, 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 you were just about to win your first national championship within the next year or so. But before then you had just started to win SEC championships. Like what was your, what was it, what was it like taking over the program? And then what was the attitude in those first few years? Well, it was amazing, honestly. I, I look back at that, and those, those, those really the first years up through that first 94 conference championship. It's probably the most visceral thing I remember about my coaching time at Auburn. It, before that, my swimming time at Auburn, which had been the late 70s, early 80s, comes, you know, uh, you know kind of comes to light really quickly. But I really remember those years because when I came back in 1990 and the team the year before hadn't had any qualifiers on the men's side, for NCAs and the, the women had a couple, but they and, and scored only a couple of points. So, you know, the way I looked at it is, is from the time I was swimming at Auburn with champions like Rowdy Gaines and Dave McCagg and Bill Forrester and Brian Haas and John Fields and Ron Fritz and all these, these, these buddies of mine that, that we busted our guts to have a top 10 team. And even though we never won a championship, we always felt like uh, uh, we were winners and we were, we were there to win. And then when I came back in you know in the late '80s and and uh, went to SECs at one meet and just watched the team and the the, the lack of uh, of a winning posture and and the the uh, it was really kind of, it was very sad. So I had that kind of in my mind. So I took the job in 1990. Pat Dye and Buddy Davidson are the two that gave me a chance. And Pat Dye was the head football coach at the time and the AD. And Buddy Davidson uh, was was the associate AD, but he had been there when I was a swimmer. And remembered the swing experience, and then when I was an assistant coach for John uh, Richard Quick and then John Asnath, and and biggest thing Buddy Davidson remembers is when when I was an assistant coach there, uh, and why I got the job ultimately, because uh, there were some good candidates for the job, but they offered it to me because Buddy Davidson told Pat Dye in that meeting, he says, "Hey, uh, coach, I remember when David used to make recruiting calls to about 11 or 12 at night, and he go sleep on the couch up in the front of the athletic department, and then go down for morning practice at 5:30." And I think that's really what, what got me the job because Pat Dye was all about hard work and, and uh, you know, hiring people that worked hard. And he knew I'd bust my butt for, for Auburn. And, and when I got back in 90, that's what it was. It was like, look, guys, uh, this isn't where this team's going to be. It's going to change, like, immediately. And 
honestly, I was probably uh, about as aggressive as I've uh, as I've been, and I was in sort of that that point in my career where I was I was I was still charging in as a young coach and had all the answers and had the the vitality and and even a little bit of anger to to to, uh, to sort of do it with complete passion instead of always wisdom. I would do it with a little bit more passion than wisdom. And, uh, but that's what happened in 1990. We, we started with that. And, and I asked that team that year, I said, here's your challenge guys and, and ladies is to recruit people faster than you. Basically uh, who we have on this team right now is not going to get us where we want to be. You guys need to improve. So there's a great story about how people improve when they come to Auburn, but the reality is you need to help us recruit the best, best possible people. And so when, you know, Christy Sachs and Christy Kruger and, and uh, they, they committed sort of the, the beginning of it. And we started raising really accelerated the women's team first before the men's team. Uh, there, there, at that time, there was a little less competition. Uh, I, I felt like in the, in the country for the top women, I felt like you could break in to recruit some of the top, 25 type women right away because I had a reputation from Dynamo Swim Club and Las Vegas Gold that I was a you know good coach and had people some fast uh, uh, when I was coaching them and and then all that just led up to so many stories Brett I mean and you know these people I mean mm. the stories of a guy like Bill Pilsick and Dean Hutchinson both both castaways I mean literally you know Bill was a prop 48 guy they called back then when you when you didn't have enough uh, didn't have the GPA to to, to get into a school. So we went to junior college and wandered on the deck. And, and apparently he, he says, anyway, sometimes you have to have him on your show, but he apparently claims that I, I told him, uh, yeah, you can join a team, but you have to get rid of the earrings was the, uh, was, I think what I, what he says, I told him that the, uh, no, there's no doubt you said that to him. I, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a 21, uh, you know, high 50 freestyle 21 mid maybe. So he wasn't really great, but, and then Dean Hutchinson who had just, drove over to Alabama where he really wanted to go and was told by the coaching staff there that, that he wasn't allowed to walk onto their team. And he came over here and said, what about this team? And I said, yeah, I'll give you a chance, man. But you know, you're right now, you're not fast enough to really do a lot for us. Well, you know, he went four years, never losing a race to university, Alabama. He ended up the SEC champion. He ended up uh, a USA national team member. And, and, and we just had a lot of individuals doing that kind of stuff. And then one particular person, Yoav Brook, who I had been coaching back in Las Vegas. And he uh, came with me to Auburn. Now, the funny thing about him is he, he, he uh, actually doesn't recall he ever understood this thing called recruiting. <laughs> I was coaching him in high school, and I might have forgot to tell him that he could look at other schools. I just, I might have just told him, you're coming with me to Auburn. Mm. And, uh, but it turned out to be, you know, a, a huge win for both of us. Of course, he's forever. Uh, an Auburn guy and, and loves the place and and uh, he was sort of the foundational vision of what we needed he was already on the Israeli national team and he already thought he wanted to be an Olympic level finalist one day and uh, he, he he pursued that in almost every way he wasn't perfect but he was about as perfect as I could have had so I actually uh, named him team captain his freshman year and he was a four-year team captain because I, I just said look guys this is the person I want you to be like so if you're, if you're wondering what it looks like it looks like this think about international swimming think about long course swimming also and so he built it on on uh, those kind of people uh, Judy Welting was my uh, captain my first year too and Judy was a swimmer who hadn't done a best time in four years 
about this, the, the kindest, most serving person you could possibly have, worked her butt off as a, as a 500 freestyle. It came from a great swimming family. And she, uh, she led the team that first year in sort of forming the character of what the team would be. And then at SECs, did her, did her all her lifetime best times. And what a way to end her career. So, so many stories like that. The whole show, we could do stories like this because mm, yeah. there are so many. That collectively led us to improving and improving and improving. And in 1994, we hosted the SEC Championship in our now brand new aquatic center. And uh, my wife was the uh, assistant aquatics director, so that was a lot of fun too. And uh, we had thought we had a chance. I mean, Florida at that time was really unbeatable. They were the dominant team in the conference. And by personnel, absolutely, we had no business even thinking we could be in the meet with them. And maybe it's because of the, the way the meet went, and it went about as crazy as a swim meet could have gone, which we had people thrown out of the meet. We had a fisticuffs in the meet. We had uh, uh, somebody DQ'd for going too slow in the race. Uh, you know, it was, it was, a <laughs> it was, it was an amazing, there, there was one point, Brett, in the meet where, and I've never had this before or since, but there's one point in the meet where I realized I hadn't eaten for 48 hours. <laughs> That's how intense I, it was at this meet. And I just was so into the meet and so in processing the meet, you know, trying to figure out how can we get that one extra point. And, uh, you know, lo- along with uh, the, the coaching staff of which, you know, Mike Bottom and Dave Bottom were two of them that were on the staff. It was, uh, it was quite, a, uh, quite a show. And, and when we, uh, we were able to put together the point of freestyle, really anchor you all, Brooke, and, and he was able to touch the wall through the traditional raises, number one finger up. It was a, uh, it was a pretty special moment. And, and, and that's really the one I remember the most. I remember 97 when, when we won the, the NCAA title and when uh, you were the you were the you were the guy that led us with the fifty three only fifty three style champion, you and Lionel. But uh but that that event I remember, you know, really clearly because it was it was just so emotional. And it was emotional because the contest was emotional, but it also was emotional because it was the first SEC win for the swim team in history. And and my senior year at Auburn, uh we missed uh we missed Florida by three points. We almost got them. And so it was it was a little bit of that too. It kind of came back to sort of eat, you know, straightening up the table a little bit for us. And okay, this is going to be the foundation of a new team. Yeah. You, well, you're right. There's so many stories. I mean, it's, you could go on for days with the people that had impact and the people that came in and, and the coaches you had. And, um, but I think, you know, ultimately everybody wants to do what you did and everyone wants to know how you did it. You know, like how, yeah, how did oh, forget that for a second Here, here's the thing what what is it that drives you because you're different like you're you're not a normal coach and and you're you're just abnormal you're and, and there are abnormal swimmers right like <laughs> like michael phelps is a swimmer who is abnormal right you're david marsh you're abnormal you're a coach but you're not normal so what is it that is abnormal about you I, I've got my own impression and opinion on a couple of things, but you tell me what you think. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that question because it's, it's, it's something I even try to understand too because I know that when, because, especially because of the Auburn window at time, but, you know, I'd already, ha- already had pretty good success at Dynamo and at uh, Las Vegas Gold before that, so it wasn't, you know, I, I think what it, I really, really what it comes down to 
because I had, uh, I want to give a lot of credit to one person. And uh, I had an amazing mentor and someone that, that I could watch coach and I could say, that's the person I want to coach like. And then I'd say, that's also the person I want to be like. And it was Richard Quick. And he was my coach that, that recruited me from another coach that, uh, that did a lot for setting up my career, uh, Jim Montrell at Indian River. And, uh, and, and just last night I was listening to, I don't know if you heard it, I put on the Eager Coaches uh, WhatsApp, but there's a, there's a uh, podcast, or not a podcast, it's actually a class at USC in performance science, but uh, has Pete Carroll and Ben Holberg and, and the author of Grit, uh, whatever her name is. But anyway, they were talking about, you know, what, you know, what's your purpose and understanding your purpose and made me think last night. So interesting you're asking this question now because I thought of that. And I, and I, and I do think there was one time when I was uh, with Richard and this was when I was applying for my first job ever at the Dynamo Sim Club. Uh, Pat Hogan was the head coach there and he asked me to come over and be the senior coach or ask if I'd apply for it. And I put, you know, was putting together my first resume and I, and I went in and asked Richard, I said, Richard, what do I put down as my sort of statement of purpose? Like what, what should a coach, young coach like me say that? And he said, well, put down that uh, uh, your, your desire is to help people reach their, their uh, fullest God-given potential. And, uh, and so I put that down as my, my purpose. And honestly, 30 some odd years later, I would say that is my driving uh, uh, purpose. I think it hasn't changed. Uh, I love what happens and watching what happens with the process of someone uh, striving toward their fullest God-given potential. That, that just makes me very excited and very happy. And, and, you know, if you look at how that breaks down even, you know, I mean, to me, if you look at like help, help doesn't say do it for them. It's not get your potential. It's not, and it's not uh, uh, you, uh, you, you, you're entitled to this. No, you help them, just be, a, be an assistant to them. And especially coaching the professionals now, my role is very much to align with what their pathway is. It, when I was a college coach, I did a lot more helping by, by dangling the carrot and explaining what the benefits would be and trying to get people to pursue it aggressively as an age group coach and working with age groupers had a lot more to do with just helping them navigate what the, what the swimming sort of life would be and thinking about don't focus just on this result, become an I am or develop your whole career, things like that. So help can be different in different situations, but then, you know, you know, help people. And it's the, it's the people that we're talking about. Cause you know, Brett, the things that are most fulfilling is to, is to see someone sort of transform as a person as they're going through their, uh, the, the, the process of developing as an athlete. So, mm. so I think those are things when I break the sort of the statement that Richard gave me down, it's like, and then you look at the, 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 the aspect of reaching, you know, reaching implies that you're, that you're, uh, you're not just getting or achieving, you're reaching, so you're striving, you're always saying that you have to move out of your comfort zone to reach, and, you, and it implies that you're gonna be struggling if you're reaching too, because it's not gonna happen automatically. And, and uh, you know, I, I think the, uh, and it, 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 you know, when you talk about somebody else's, it's, you know, their potential they're striving for, not their mom's or dad's fulfillment, not the coach's desires, but their potential uh, and then God given, I mean, the cool thing about that is that indicates there's something bigger than you. There's something that has a greater purpose 
uh, I think that's a great thing. And, and also, it, it, depending on how you, you apply God to your life, I mean, if, if you can accept it as love, too, that gives you some real confidence that you can build from to know that you have that, that, that sort of foundation of support that won't go away, foundation of that you are loved. And, and uh, I think that's helpful. And then potential, man. We can talk about potential on the whole time, too, because potential, we, we reach so little of our potential. And then you take a sport like swimming, where we're not meant to be swimmers. You know, we're meant to be running around on land. And you put us in the water, you put us prone in the water, you put us in a poor environment. None of us are natural in the water. I mean, I've coached some of the best swimmers in history, including everybody, you know, what, what I consider one of the most aquatic guys I've ever coached is Ryan Lochte. And yes, he could move through the water like a, a, a freaking otter, but not really, because any old piece of crud, little fish in the ocean, way more efficient than he was, could swim much faster than he could. So reaching your potential in the water is awesome, because there is not just the human potential of that, there's actually learning how to re, uh, relate to the water in all this process. So thank you for uh, Richard Quick, uh, God rest his soul, for... Uh, for that because that's sort of as it comes out that's you you ask what it is that's probably the foundation of what uh how i started early in my career and i've sort of been locked on to it yes i agree for sure richard is incredible and had an amazing um impact on me too you brought him into my life and he had an impact on me but at the core of everybody there is something that drives us right and and, and if I look back on my childhood, I can, I could probably pinpoint things and maybe, maybe through therapy, you know, it might have helped that I could pinpoint things. Um, but what is it in your life back in the day before any of this that, okay, well, see, that, this is Brett Hawk questions here now. Okay, good. Yeah. Like, like what's driving you? Because there's something deep inside you that drives you. I don't know what that is. I, I probably, I probably haven't even heard it before. Like, what is it from your childhood? Well, I mean, I mean that, there's a couple, I think, there, and you're asking it, I'm on a process of this way. And I think I've maybe thought of it before, but this, I'll put it in this kind of tone. Uh, sports is the only thing I was good at as a kid. I was, I was only good at sports. I played football, baseball, and I was an all-star in baseball. But when I went, went 10th grade, I went out for the baseball team, and I thought I was a great baseball player. I mean, I literally, I was like always batted third or fourth. I was always one of the leaders of the team. I got cut in 10th grade. I thought I was going to be a high school baseball player and then go play professional baseball. That was what I was going to do. Got cut. My name didn't make the list. Well, that began my swimming career because my brother was on a swim team. And, uh, you know, what do you do? What's the next best thing you can do in the world is beat your brother at what they do. So I picked up, took up swimming and started that. And so I think that was part of it was I, I was sort of desperate to find another sport. So I was highly motivated as a 10th grade swimmer. By the way, my time in 10th grade in my first swim meet, I told a lot of kids when I'm doing clinics and stuff this, that you know, who's faster than 123 in the 100-yard freestyle? You know, every hand goes up. I'm like, okay, well, that was my time in my first meet in 10th grade when I was 15 years old. So, you know, ended up having a nice career, being sixth in the world by the end of, end of my career in, in my event, the 100 backstroke. But point is, is that, is, that, is that I think when that was taken away from me, I pursued swimming very aggressively. And then there's somewhat the same thing in coaching where, honestly, if I wasn't a coach, I don't know what else I would have been. So if I was going to be a coach. I don't know what my driver was because I wasn't a very good college student, academic student. 
Uh, I wasn't, you know, at least up until <laughs> later in life, it wasn't very popular with the ladies. It, I wasn't, it wasn't really anything about me that was spectacular. Uh, and, but when I started to coach, uh, and maybe it's because I was around, uh, you know, so many excellent, uh, well, in particular Richard Quick, but also some other coaches along the way, you know, in 10th, 11th, 12th, first year of college, second year of college, and third year of college, I had a different coach every single year. It just played out that way. And so I saw a lot of the ways to coach. And I saw all the ways to not coach. And so I, I knew early on that, that having a great coach, because I saw it, you know, when I had Pat Toner and when I had Richard Quick, when I had Jim Montrella, they brought out motivation in me and inspiration in me. And, and so I knew that I knew that's, uh, that's sort of what I, I wanted. I wanted to do that. I wanted to be that. So I had to work really hard at being, a great coach. Uh, I, I, and that's really what I wanted to be. I really, at that point I decided that that's what I wanted to be. And I needed to do a lot of things to become a great coach. I was a business major. I didn't study physiology or, or, uh, psychology. I was a business major. I wasn't planning on being a coach till, you know, till I stopped and graduated from Auburn and said, what am I doing, doing next? And Richard said, Hey, you want to coach the, uh, War Eagle swim team here? It's you know, about 70 swimmers. They go for one hour after the college team and we'll pay you a little bit to do it. And, uh, you know, first day I did it, Brett, I absolutely loved it. I loved it uh, more than I ever loved swimming. And uh, so I knew it was what I was destined to do and, and what I was going to be. And, and that Warga swim team, I coached, uh, you know, about 60 kids. They were uh, uh, anything from like a couple senior national kids in one lane. And I had eight-year-olds that could hardly swim in the other lane. I was the only coach on deck. So I was running back and forth. I, I thought that that's how all coach, coaches coach. But that was my introduction to coaching was that. And I just don't remember when I would accept that I wasn't going to be, you know, uh, an excellent coach. So I just figured out the things I needed to do. So I got on the sports science committee at USA Swimming. I would fly anytime I could to Colorado Springs and I would dig into what you know, uh, uh, Trope was doing, I would dig in. There was a lot of sports science in Colorado Springs back then. They had a flume. And so we really were, it was a chance to really learn in Colorado Springs about high performance swimming and, and to grow in lots of ways. Uh, and, and I used that immeasurably. I would make copies of, uh, of VHS tapes that I would take back home with me. Uh, you know, I, I would just, I did everything I could. And, and I was also a very bad speaker. I wasn't a good communicator. And, and I knew that all the great coaches seemed to be really comfortable with communicating and speaking. So I had to work really hard at that because in, in speech class at Auburn, I, I, I was terrible. I was a C minus student. First speech I ever gave, I almost threw up all over the table. I mean, I barely held it in. I was so nervous. And uh, I joined Toastmasters. I gave every Kiwanis Club talk I could possibly give. I hated them. I hate, hated doing it because it was like, it made me nervous as heck to talk to the Qantas Club, but I gave everyone I could because I knew that only way I was going to get better is to do it. So I worked really hard to be, you know, the, the coach that I, I wanted to be. And to this day, I, I feel like uh, I learn stuff all the time. And I, learned, I learn a lot now from my swimmers. And so I really love the, uh, the, the, the idea and the process of being a coach. Yeah, I think that there's one thing that absolutely defines you in my eyes is that and, and I saw this in Richard too, but you're always taking notes. You're always asking questions. You're always, um, you know, while, while there might be some people fixed on, on these people here, your eye wanders and you're, you're over here looking at somebody that's 
picking up trash and, and learning from them. Like you, you learn yeah. from the spectrum, like you, you walk into a room and you're learning from everybody. Um, and, yeah. and I think some, some people get fixed sometimes on certain things. Um, and, and you're always, well, I'll, I'll get into that. You're always, you're always pushing people to, to, to get their best out of themselves, but just internally, do you notice that in yourself? You're always learning. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny because, again, Pete Carroll's talk last night, he talked about how, you know, he, he, uh, he thought he was ADD because he was kind of everywhere and he would, he would pick up cues everywhere to see how things could get better. Uh, but uh, I don't know why that is. I, I can do that. I think it may be the, my ADD and for sure I have ADD. But I, I literally can look at a room of lots of things going on and, and figure out things. Uh, and maybe now it's because I've done it long enough. But even early on, I could look at a, you know, fortunately the first three years at all, I was at Auburn, we only had the eight lane 25 yard pool and I knew everything that was going on. We'd run two sessions and then we went to the bigger pool. I actually struggled for a season or two with trying to take in, know what everybody's doing, you know, know how everybody's doing their practice, know what their mood is, know what their eyeballs are saying. And so I think that uh, my, my reading people is maybe one of the things that, uh, that has given me a competitive advantage out, uh, out there is that, I can sort of read somebody's body language, but I don't have to be looking them in the eyes. I can read their body language across the pool deck. Yeah. And, uh, and I still do that to this day. I mean, I was at the, you know, the swimming practice not long ago and, and challenged the people that were walking in with slumped over shoulders, like, you know, do you want to swim today? You know, do you want to swim? Go home. Cause, uh, but I'm, I'm not seeing it as you're walking in the pool. And uh, Bill Sweeten and one of your Australian coaches, one of them was one of the guys I learned that from, he came out and watched me coach in Las Vegas uh, for a few days just observe our program and uh, he came to practice at five in the morning and I said practice doesn't start till 5 30 in the morning you didn't need to be here so early Bill and he says oh yes I do I said so I'll, I'll know all I need to know about your program before your summers ever dive in the water I said wow mm. <laughs> yeah and he's right and you think about that think about think about the when you Brett when you've had your teams that are on they're clicking they're doing their thing you, you didn't have to tell them to get in the water. You know, you said warm up. They were going to start working on their stroke technique when they dove in the water. They weren't going to be dilly down around too long, except maybe a couple of sprinters. You know, they they got to do their thing. But for the most part, they uh, uh, they, they 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 have to. You know, they, they they they, you know, you just know. You know what you know by by watching. And so yeah, I would say in my career. Uh, that's something that's been really good. The bad part of that, by the way, Brett, is I can't turn it off. You know, mm -hmm. so if I go to the restaurant and yeah. the, the, the waiter is really good, I'm wondering why, what's making that waiter really good? Why, why are they so motivated? And now I'm watching these surfers out here and I'm like, okay, how, how, are, these, how are these people, like, what are they getting from this that is helping them to be, to be better people? And I, and I can see what it's doing. I'm glad you're saying that because people ask me all the time, why is David so good? And just your explanation there of like observing all walks of life and, and animals. And I mean, you're out there listening to the birds and watching the, the whales. And I mean, you're taking it all in. And I don't think people fully appreciate and understand that about you is that the information that is coming in, it's almost like, I've, you know, that movie, A Beautiful Mind you know, where he's got all these things going on and, and most of us can't yeah. see it, but you're, you can see it for some reason. And, um, there were, there were many times I remember, or a couple of times at least where you'd come up to me on the pool deck when I was a swimmer at Auburn and, and you'd whisper in my ear, you know, just like change your body language, 
And I'd be like, I'd be like, what, 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 what's wrong? You know, like you could just, you get to see things before I could even see it. You know, like I, maybe I was feeling something, but I couldn't even, you know, didn't even know I was expressing it through my body language. And, um, and so that's one of the things I do say to people. And I say it in a positive way that you are a master manipulator in terms of, yeah. I was good with certain, um, you know, uh, types of people. That, that, I, I can I can coach that type. Now you give me Ariana Vanderpool Wallace all day long, we're gonna have success. You know, you yep. give me that type of person. But um, but you are good, and the reason why you've had success over many um, years is because you could manipulate all types of different people. And if you weren't good with that person, you were good at finding someone who was good at that with that person. That's 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 critical right there. Exactly, and that's where ego has to go out as a coach, if the job, if what you're trying to accomplish is, you know, John Maxwell early on, I used to listen to when I was trying to change my sort of, I also, by the way, when I was coming through and I heard Dave Dennison's talk and he spoke to our team yesterday or our age group team, but he talks about how he was sort of negative when he was younger. And I was, I was kind of, you know, sort of a negative thinker when I was coming through I would say through college and I knew when I wanted to be a coach, I needed to change to more of a positive mindset. So I used to listen to Zig Ziglar. I would listen to Tony Robbins. I would listen to these, I got to go, I'd, I'd rollerblade, which is, wasn't a thing, much of a thing back then, but I'd do my, you know, something working out and I'd be listening to these, what now would be podcasts, but it was really uh, cassette tapes and I'd have a little cassette tape player and I'd have my earphones on and uh, I would be, you know, just listening to try to process and become more of a positive person. And I think that in my, uh, my years, you know, for example, when I told you to look at your posture and I whispered it to you, one is I didn't want to embarrass you because I knew that you weren't the kind of people, you weren't the kind of person who was good at being called out and that wouldn't work well for you. So I would whisper to you because I didn't want you, and I wanted, the goal was to get you to perk up because what happened when Brett Hawk perked up on the Auburn University team, six other guys perked up. So all of a sudden, not just Brett Hawk got better, now my whole my whole sprint group, at least, if not half the team, got better because Brett's bringing his bringing his uh, his energy, his mm-hmm. his Aussie down under energy. You know, yeah. so there was there so even even in little comments and 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 I do believe semantics are super powerful. The way you word things, how you word things, and the way you can kind of communicate to people is critical. And and know if you're not the connector. You know, I have some stories right now. Uh, that you know they are because you've been out here but you know right now uh, uh javier is a little bit better reaching them than i am i'm sort of get bad cop he's good cop so we sort of make make it work like that and that's it's always been like that and you know one of the, the the most least popular at the time anyway situations like that was when i had we had the two best backstrokers in the world and and uh and kirsty coventry and margaret holzer and and uh and, and kim bracken was my associate head coach for the for the uh, women's team and she was an amazing coach uh but it was like we sort of agreed we just said kim you're going to take kirsty you know mm-hmm. and certainly yeah. kirsty's a, a fireball and and arguably easier to coach let's say but you know and i and i took margaret and and margaret was uh had amazing talent and she just you know you just had it with margaret you had to sort of walk with her sort of carefully and and uh you know i i i love the way that relationship played out because they ended up you know first and second in the world and and uh it was but you know had i had i tried to kind of grab them both and like i'm 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 the man for both of you then they would have been training together that would not have worked so we needed to do something about that and 
and that's that was a an example of that uh you know letting letting the people around you take these things and sometimes it's volunteer coaches it's not it's not uh just necessarily your number one assistant coach it might be you know there, there's some cases where the strength coach pk would be a critical part of developing one of the athletes you know these kind of things were, were critical in the process of you know because the goal was to get success out of everybody and and the goal wasn't that the success was based on me or something I did. The success was for Auburn. The success was for the Mecklenburg team when I was in, in Charlotte. The, the success now here is for, uh, for them to, you know, represent their countries and earn medals rather than just going and collecting uh, Olympic gear. And so these are things that uh, I think sort of drive me and, and motivate me. Yeah. I mean, the reason why my career, took a big leap um, as a coach is because you did the same thing with Caesar Cielo. You came to me and said, you know, Caesar yep. was in your 200 group and, and you said, I'm just not getting the most out of this kid. Like, I, I think you should connect with him and see what you can get out of him. And, and that's where Caesar and I ended up clicking and, and taking off. So yeah, I mean, there were many times where I'm sure you did the same thing with Dave Durden or Ralph Crocker or many yep. of your other assistant coaches. I mean, you've, you've had some, you've had many athletes that you've, you've passed off onto one of your other assistants to say, get the best out of this person. And I think it takes a great coach to be able to do that because the inclination is to, you know, why would you want to hand Kirsty Coventry off? She's one of the greatest athletes in the history of the sport. Right? Right. You wouldn't want to pass her off. Um, and so, and, and even with Caesar, I know that you recognized his talent at the time, but you just said oh, yeah. for us, it's going to be better if he is doing things that are going to make him happy in, in that sense. So yeah, I mean, many think, think about it, Brett. So and it is good for the audience, especially the college coaches to hear is that, is that the reality was if, if I coach Caesar, he was going to take a lot of my time because he needed to have time. He needed, and he was worth the time. He was worth the focus. You know, the, when we had this conversation, you were, if you recall, you were the very first year coaching. Mm, like you oh, had yeah. only been a swimmer and you came back to Auburn to finish school mm. and you were an undergrad still. And I was like, I was like, Brett, you know, you can handle this. You know, you, you lead this guy because he's, he's one of the best in the world, you know, take it. And, uh, yeah, I think my, at that, that stage, I, I think at that stage, I was making $23,000 a year, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, if, if we were making that much, you need to pay some back. <laughs> I was making six for a while at Auburn. The, uh, no, but the, uh, but I, but I, I will say that, that, that freed me up to pay attention to other people who could score more points if they got more time with me. And, and that's one of the things that, and I would do sort of every year. And I didn't know I did it till I did it enough years. And I realized, gosh, I guess that's something I do. But usually in college season, about January, I try to figure out, okay, who needs, who needs to raise their game in January in order for us to accomplish our team goals? And I, a lot of times I would take that group of people, whoever that was, and sort of dive in with them and, and say, okay, let's get you fast. Let's get you believing. And, and uh, so that's something that was one of our little secrets at Auburn that, that I think uh, where we won a lot of championships was scoring some of those eighth place finishes instead of some summer who maybe would have qualified. Uh, now we have somebody who would score in the top eight and enough top eights and you win the meet. Yeah. And the other thing I think you did really well that I noticed over many years and, and certainly with me as well is that you pushed me further than any other coach had ever pushed me you challenged me harder than any other coach physically mentally all of that you know um what was the driving i mean how did you know how hard you could push people because again like there's no one else who's ever done it like you in my life in terms of 
being able to get stuff out of me. I didn't even know it was there. How did you know yeah. it was there? Yeah. yeah, that was awesome, man. You're one of, you're one of the more fun stories too, because it, it wasn't just all some kind of beauty. I mean, you watch Caesar do one lap and you're like, wow, you know, but you watch you do one lap slow. It's like, okay, but you watch you do one lap fast, electric. Wow. Yeah, the same thing. So Yeah, but I mean you did uh, that with teams of people. Like you've just pulled the best out of people all the time. Like you challenge people hard. I saw people break down and cry and and wanna wanna quit the sport and then come back hours later or the next day and and be changed completely. You know, you had this effect where you could just push people beyond and just get stuff out of them that no other coach could get out of them. Yeah, I, 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 it's an interesting question. I'm not sure I can answer it. I I, I know that I, I really want people to care about what they're doing. And it's like, kind of like if they don't care enough, I mean, are you doing the right thing? And I guess it goes back to purpose. Do you have a strong enough purpose? Are you here for enough of a reason? And, and I've said many times, I mean, and, and I could name several of the names and I won't, but I mean, it, the, of, of the top 10 most talented athletes I've ever coached, I mean, seven or eight of them never Nobody would know any of their, their names. They, they never yeah. accomplished anything highly significant in swimming, but they were incredibly talented. They just didn't have that inner, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as, as we talked about last time, that, 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 uh, that uh, podcast was the, they, they didn't have that inner grit. They didn't have that inner sort of fire that was, that was there. And then, you know, then, then the job of a, of a coach is to stoke that fire, to figure out how to do it and, uh, you know, I always felt I could help bring somebody up to close to a breaking point, but hopefully not break them. But even if you broke them, it's like, don't, you know, you can get, get the rebuild process going right away. And sometimes it was different for different people. Sometimes it had to do with their sort of uh, their, 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 their inner being. And sometimes it had to do with, uh, with just, they didn't like pain. Uh, so there are times that I've had summers where I've said, okay, you're only going to do single practices from now on but that single practice has to be amazing. You know, there's things like that, that I would be willing to adjust to that, that, because the outcome is what I was looking, I'm looking for, Brett. I'm, you know, begin with the end in mind. So I'm looking at the end and trying to say, okay, what's the end look like? We're trying to get to a, to a performance, not to how well do you train? We want a performance mm. and to get to that performance. What's this, what's this person need to get to that performance, which maybe for every single coach person I've coached in my entire career, that's slightly different. Yeah. And, and you built teams of people, you know, you, be, you built teams and, and team, the teams that I was on with you um, by the time I got there, um, it was almost like a military, um, you know, family in the sense that you, you, you know, not, you're not physically going to die for this person, but you felt like I would kill for this person. I would die for that person. You know, like the, the, it was more than just, like the, the name that you had on your shirt meant something really deep. And I, and I guess like the, the creed, you know, we had an Auburn creed and things like that, that you helped infuse into that belief. But like, where did that stem from? Where did you know that how to, how to create team and build team you were doing it before um, any, anybody in, in a way that um, I mean, your teams would really go out there and want to die for each other in that sense, you know, like how did you know to do that? Yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, we benefited, uh, there's a swimmer I had early on named uh, Kyle Wilson that, that did, was in 
some kind of human science type thing. And, and, and he, he brought me a paper once and he said, Dave, you ever heard of the big Pygmalion effect? And I'm like, no, I don't know what that is. It's a weird name. What's the Pygmalion effect? And he explained, it's the sort of my fair lady, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you dress up somebody as, as if they're successful and they get successful. So that's sort of what we did at Auburn, where we, we tried to make people feel like, if, look, if you're putting on an Auburn swimming shirt, you're a champion. And you need to behave like a champion. You need to have the posture of a champion. You need to talk like a champion. You need to have, you need to, to, to have the swagger of a champion. Mm. And then a lot of times that, that the, the performance side would come along because of now you have somebody who does believe that they're part of this thing. So there's no doubt that the, the, the creating that, that uh, collective uh, culture and collective atmosphere, you know, culture wasn't a word back when I was coaching in the younger years. It was just about getting these group of people to care about each other enough to be willing to, we won't say die for each other, but yeah. almost, I mean, to, to be able yeah. to do whatever it took. Maybe sometimes it's sacrificing the, the event that you want to swim to swim what the team needs you to swim. There are years where I had like eight breaststrokers. Okay. I need a breaststroker to learn how to do freestyler, and I am because I can't have eight breaststrokers. Mm. And so there's the things like that, or there's years where uh, I, you know, I wouldn't have a uh, fast uh, butterfly. I was like, somebody needs to do a fast 50 flies. So spend spend time working on that. Somebody give me a 21 flat 50 fly so we can, you know, make finals in a tour medley relay. And so there were there were there were things like that that we asked for sacrifice for. And the other side of that, I, it, my Auburn years it was quite easy because especially early in my career. I was such a believer in what the Auburn University experience could do for someone. And I was such a believer in what uh, the, the, the I had seen the team do for people. Uh, and, and, and I say early in my career because I think there was more profound transformations happening. I think later in a career, people were coming to Auburn for the flash, for the ring. You know, and, and, but early in the year when there was no, <laughs> there was no rings involved, uh, they were coming for the pure reason of, of the pursuit. And instead of the conquest, and I think that's uh, that was that was probably more memorable. And even though we were able to, to even even my last year, we won both the men's and women's championship. A lot of that was, you know, by then I'd hired great coaches and I'd let them coach. You know, a lot a lot of the uh, I did much more coaching. You know, in my first, uh, you know, there 17 years, probably my first 10 years, to 11 years, I did more coaching than I did my last five or six years when really I was sort of managing the championships because then it was. You had a lot more meetings in athletic departments. By then they had, you know, three or four compliance people. By then they had sports psychologists. They had things like this. It used to be, we did everything. We were the sports marketing people. You know, we would, we would uh, have to figure out how to get the, you know, Jeff Dugdale would figure out how to get the cheerleaders to come to the swim meet. And, uh, you know, we'd have to buy a keg, buy a keg for a fraternity to get them to come and cheer for us in the, in the stands. And we do things like that to behind the scenes to sort of create the, the atmosphere we needed to to make Auburn a special experience. All right, a couple of other things I've got here. Um, so you didn't do this alone. I mean, you've got a, a an incredible wife. And where did you meet Kristen? Met her to swimming uh, <laughs> when I was coaching Las Vegas at the AA Championships, and uh, she was coaching uh, the. Fullerton team the year that Janet Evans was uh, sort of at her best with uh, with her, her swimming and Bud McAllister was her head coach and Kristen was the assistant coach for the junior national kids and and so you know being a, a wise young single coach that I was and new to the west coast from in Las Vegas uh, went to a meet and of course you know looked for the 
cutest coach around, and that was Kristen Burke at the time. And so I figured out a way I could try to try to meet her, and and uh, so I did. And uh, actually, Betsy Rapp introduced us, which was kind of cool. She was a great great swimmer, swimmer from Stanford. And uh, uh, yeah, so that the the I would say the key for the relationship with Kristen was that. Uh, you know, through her as as part of my sort of my God story is through her. So that that was a that was certainly a big part of it. But also uh, having her understand some of the key conversations we would have about the sport, about what we were doing, because she, in her own right, was is an excellent coach. I mean, uh, had she you know pursued coaching full on, she would have been you know one of the best coaches uh, possible. She 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 chose to spend more time raising our kids than, than coaching in some of those, uh, some of those years in between. But uh, even now when she coaches, she'll, she'll on the deck with the team elite stingrays every now and then. And she's amazing on the deck. Everybody loves her and she coaches masters. Everybody loves her. Uh, so she does a great job of that. And, and we've, you know, you know, our kids, Brett, so we raised what, what I think are three great kids. And uh, so it's, uh, it's definitely been a family affair. Uh, I've loved being a swim dad, and it's kind of sad because Alyssa's a senior at, at Duke this year and didn't get to compete at NCAAs, and she didn't shave her wrist all year. So really sad because you know she didn't get a chance to really show what she could do. But the uh, the the whole process of being you know experiencing the sport as a father was uh, I think honestly formative for me. I think I learned a lot. You know, we all get better when we. Generally, when we get married and we start having kids, we become better coaches because we have more perspective then. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly that was the case for me. I, I, was, I was kind of a hellion coach uh, the, to a great degree until I met Kristen, especially when we started having kids. And I think then I became more of a, a coach that coached with wisdom rather than just, you know, fire and brimstone. Yeah. Yeah, she's had an incredible impact. I remember there many times where – where you know i know she kind of slapped you around a little bit it was like david wake up yeah. like you know like um you know she she's just uh, amazing and and i just can't believe she stayed with you this long <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh it's been pretty fun we've, we've done empty nesting out here in california and it's been a lot of fun and we, we're uh we we enjoy you know riding yeah. the bikes around solana beach and, yeah. and sort of it's been it's been a fun thing and it's been a bit of a lockup right here with the uh, the quarantine, but uh, but it's it's been been a, been a good ride so far. Yeah, well, you're pretty uh, famous for the way that you write workouts. How? What's your <laughs> what's your style on that? <laughs> oh man, uh, my style is. Well, I let me let me say idea. this. Let, let me say this. There, there, there'd be times where you'd walk into practice. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe uh maybe uh just just at the just at the end of warm-up a couple of times you know at the end of warm-up and uh we'd be like gosh damn david just walked in and then uh you'd you'd kind of stop everybody you're like all right we're going to go into the main set here and you just stare at the board for about three or four minutes and be like oh he's got nothing this is awesome you know and then you just start painting like picasso and be like <laughs> Oh my, it was like the hardest thing, you know, you've ever done. And you're like, where the hell did that come from? You know? Um, so I don't know. Sorry. I interrupted you there. No, no, you didn't at all. No, I, I, when I was, like I said, my first six years of swimming, I had six different swim coaches and I had everything from some coaches where I knew exactly what I was doing at every practice before the practice started. It was all written out and I knew exactly the whole holding. And I knew on Monday it was going to be this Tuesday, this Wednesday. Then I had, 
the coaches that were uh, we were going to kick this day, then pull this day, then and and uh, and I had sort of I guess watched uh, Eddie Reese, who was the coach at Auburn before Richard was. I never swam for Eddie, but I you know I watched what he did, and I and then I swam for Richard Quick, and they were both sort of like that. They were more creatives, and they they sort of come up with uh, things that looked like came out of thin air, and. And, and I'm not saying that, advising that, by the way. So any young coaches out there watching this, I do not advise you to, to go up to the grease board, not know what you're going to do, and then write it out. Because I really know what I'm going to do. I just don't know how I'm going to do it all the time. Because really, again, it almost fits into the, the category of, I know what I, I want to get out of an athlete, and I just need to figure out how to get it out of them. And then in a workout, I know what I want to get out of a workout, but I need to write it so that, we get it out of them this day and, and are they going to give it up on multiple 25s if that's what it takes i mean one of the hardest sets we ever did at auburn was those 25s where you put them in an interval and the interval drop down well they're only little friendly fun 25s you know but when you do about 80 of them okay. you know you walk out of workout and know you've been been, been beat up nicely mm. and so you, either that and sometimes i knew people needed to do 800s and they needed to sort of you know we did we would do three 800s at the beginning of the year every year just to show you're in good enough shape at a baseline and uh in the sprinters would do it they would hate it and then Aaron Charlie finally relented and gave him uh three six hundreds then diving well because he <laughs> he couldn't finish at 800 <laughs> but it was so I, so I think when I when I write workouts we certainly have a season plan that, and phases we're going through with we're different loading in different ways and then I have sort of weekly rhythm of what we do we're sort of going to do this that and the other and in some cases especially at Auburn I had a lot of coaches I would have, you know, coaches sort of knew, okay, on Tuesday I'm getting the butterflyers and on Thursday I'm getting the this, but on Wednesday we're doing a combined set. And uh, so we would kind of operate like that. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, when I go down to the deck, you know, I sort of honestly look at the, the, uh, uh, the mood of the team, I look at the eyes of the, of the swimmers, and, and I sort of kind of gotta get a feel for what they're ready to give, give. Uh, this is really coming in handy coaching Kathleen Baker because with her Crohn's disease and with her, uh, uh, you know, with sort of her, her health situation, you know, she only trains once a day. So it needs to be a good session. We have to get what we can out of it. But if she can't go, I need to look at her eyes and I need to read her and know that, okay, there's a day we need to go soft aerobic, but we'll go an extra 2000 or 3000 soft aerobic versus going something really hard, even though she'll go hard every day if you let her, like if I give her a hard set every day, she would happily go hard every single day but you know she you know there's a recovery and a press there's a stress them at the highest level but the recovery is the foundational thing and i would say in my career and i was one of probably the first coaches that would say this without you know having to to be shamed because you know pretty much in coaching if you talk about recovery too much you're sort of shamed uh but recovery was that i started my training week with okay where are they going to recover you know, we used to take the whole day Wednesday off, way before NCAA rules made us take Wednesday off. But that was all about not looking at chlorine, you know, for you sprinters. It was like, okay, and you need a day away from the pool. And I remember you guys used to go and do a steam bath or something like that. And, it was, you know, I think there was really effective ways. You came in Thursday, you're ready to go. And that's what I was looking for. I'd rather have an extreme of effort and performance than – a bunch of a bunch of pretty good ones. I'd have I'd rather have two excellent excellent training sessions per week than four fairly good ones. Uh, and again, you know that that's coming from perspective, you know, the, of a, more of a, a 200 and down person. You know, I, I, I not that I 
I love the four and I am, but uh, and I've had plenty of good four and I amers. But you know, when I'm looking at preparing somebody, I'm looking at look how long is the race going to last. I mean, if you're a runner, you wouldn't be training. You know, and one of my mentors was Mel Rosen at Auburn early on. I would watch Mel Rosen's practices. He would always talk about recovery uh, with his great athletes that he had at Auburn and the track team. It wasn't about how hard he could push Harvey Glantz. It'd be, no, Harvey needed two days off now after running one hard workout. So, uh, you know, all these people had influence on me, Brett. Yeah. Well, one of the things I remember that um, I hated, but I, I feel like was so crucial to my development as a coach it's probably one of the only things I remember that, that made me uncomfortable, but made me better. You would, um, you know, we'd go in as assistant coaches and we, we may have even had a plan or right, here's the plan today. Okay, great. Uh, or we may not have had a plan. We're like, all right, David's going to run it today. Cool. And then about 20 minutes in, you'd be like, all right, stop. Um, all right. These 10 people go with Brett. And I'd be like, I, I don't work with these people. <laughs> yeah, you're going to work with them today. Go, go over there and, and give them uh, 30 minutes of something. I'd be like 30 minutes of what, you know, like I would just be completely put on the spot. And so then I would have to figure out real quick, you know, so that taught me and, um, and it made me a better coach and, and it, it made me learn to, you know, be creative, but also you didn't want to look a fool to the, to the athletes, you know, you wanted to, make it feel like you knew what you were doing or even you wanted to make it feel like this was all planned. Like we're not yeah. just making this up on the spot. So I was, I was kind of put in a position where I'd have to figure it out real quick. And I'll say this, you know, you've got this amazing coaching tree, but it, it's pretty well known for, you know, from people that you talk to that you're not an easy person to work for. Right. I mean, right. absolutely. But that's, <laughs> but, but the people that have worked for you, and and stayed with you have gone on to be some of the most amazing coaches in history and you know like right now we have Dave Durden who's out at Cal who's the head U.S. Olympic coach worked for you for many years so that you know so the people that stick with you go on to do amazing things but why is it so hard to work for you think? Well I think it's it's frustrating because you know my you know because I uh, my expectations are uh, you know it's almost like if I'm looking and evaluating the swimmers by watching their eyes and watching their energy and watching their, I'm doing the same thing with coaches. Yeah, like 100%. I sort of, I sort of expect them mm -hmm. to be growing, be developing. I mean, even to this day, Brad, I mean, I honestly, if I, of the, 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 my tree of coaches and a lot of the people that I consider my tree aren't people that I have ever coached or been on my staff, but are people that, have, that I've mentored, you know, through their careers. I mean, if they're not working on developing to be, better coaches and and eager as, as the eager coaches list we have if, if that if eager doesn't sort of uh, one of the things that sort of uh, explains who they are and what they are you know I'm, I'm a little disappointed I want to see all of the, the, the guys and gals that, uh, that that are out there coaching because coaching is a privilege coaching isn't something that should be taken as it's some kind of right that I get the coach no you do not get the coach you are blessed to get to work with the people, they're giving you the time and the energy. There's lots of jobs you can have, and most jobs and in lots of cases will pay you more money than the coaching job that you're doing right now. Uh, and 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 I expect to see you know you developing in all the best ways possible, communicating with the athletes in the best ways possible. And these are all things that I'm sort of, you know, that's a lot of pressure. And I expect them to make you know the the recruiting calls. I mean, there's 
you know, I think just recruiting calls would be one of the things that was, uh, was, was tough. And, and again, the first 10 years I made, you know, 40 or 50 calls a week later in my career, I'd make five or six of the key calls and expect the staff to, to, to set things up well to where I could, you know, sort of close deals maybe, but, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a lot of pressure. And, uh, uh, and most of the coaches, when they uh, sort of said, okay, it's time for me to, get, you know, to go do something different. It's, uh, they're, they're, they're sort of like going, you know, I want to, I want to get out. And, and a lot of my coaches have come to me, you know, with, with, you know, really not, n no real credentials. I mean, when Dave Durden came to me, he wrote me from California and said, said, I, uh, can I come be a volunteer assistant coach for Auburn? And, uh, or can I be a coach? I said, we don't have anything. I said, well, can I be a volunteer? I'm like, I guess. I mean, yeah, come on out and have a look around. But I mean, you can be a volunteer if you want. And then eventually he quickly became a student assistant. Then he became a, uh, and got his master's degree. And then he became a uh, assistant coach, full assistant coach. And he became associate head coach eventually. But, but it was like, I could see Dave was going to be an excellent coach from very early. I mean, all I had, you know, you just, it's these people that you see that, the you know Bob Bowman was the same way when I had Bob out in Las Vegas you know and very different than Dave completely different personality but you knew Bob Bowman was going to be a great coach when I had him working with my 11 12 year olds in Las Vegas and he was so meticulous he was so into it he was finding out ways for every little every person you know how, how am I going to make Seton Claggett's freestyle better how am I you know and Dave Dern's the same way he would be figuring out not, you know, necessarily from a technical standpoint, but from how can I make this workout more interesting? You'd have the butterfly group and you'd have the coolest butterfly sets. And he was, you know, three years out of swimming and, uh, but his pedigree was so good. You know, he'd come out of uh, fleet and uh, then he had Dave Salo and then he worked with me. So he had a, you know, really nice pedigree. Uh, so those are things that, uh, that, that, that with a lot of these coaches, it wasn't like they were coming in as the cat's meow coaches. Like, you know, a lot of my coaches have, you know, because early on in Auburn, I didn't have any money to pay anybody. And they had to come for almost nothing. You know, later we had everything. We had, we had unbelievable support from the athletic department, probably too much support, honestly. And, uh, uh, but it was, you know, and, and now I'm back to, you know, uh, have a really good young coach, Javier Sosa, who's, uh, who's you know, working his tail off and, and, and learning a lot. And he's going to be a great coach. So it's, you know, you see this stuff happening and, and, uh, uh, I, I'm glad I can do that. I, I, and, and most coaches come back around and they, they hey, I, mean, I, I appreciate you, love you. And, and most of my relationships with them are, are love, loving relationships. I've had a few that have really, you know, stabbed me in the back and, and uh, we haven't, uh, you know, cleaned that up yet. But I will. You know, th these are things that I don't walk around trying to wait for the day when we, uh, when we, when we have, har have harmony everywhere. But I do want everybody that coaches including coaches that I don't coach but that really irritates me when people don't give young people all they can and all they can isn't what they have right now it's what you can learn it's what you can learn from other people in this time of quarantine I just said it to somebody on the on a note back to today when I was giving them some advice it's like you never had a better situation where you can learn more stuff than right now there are so many people uh, communicating right now across the lines, what you're doing with Sergio Lopez and uh, those kinds of things. These are things that right now is an amazing time for learning for coaches. It's an amazing time for learning for athletes. So teach, learn, get into it, grow. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Uh, very well said on that too. Um, you're about to be inducted into the 
Hall of Fame as a coach. What does that mean to you? You know, I've, I've been inducted to different Halls of Fames, you know, the, my, my colleges and my uh, 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 Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. You know, I think because of my age now, I'm actually sort of happy with this one. This is going to be kind of fun. You know, it's a, you know, I, I'm trying to absorb it. Uh, and it's also, you know, a, a, a big one because it's the International Swimming Hall of Fame. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's amazing that the, the chance to go in with the people I'm going in with, a couple of your Australian friends, and, and, uh, uh, and, and now it's going to be postponed or put somewhere different. It sort of, that's sort of, again, what I'm excited about. I'm not just excited about the fact that it's a culmination of things, but it's also, okay, look at all these cool people I get to go in with and get to be a part of this experience with, you know, in coaching, what makes you what you are is a whole bunch of other people. It's not what you did. You, I never, you know, none of my results since the time I retired from swimming was because I was putting on my speedo and racing down the pool. It was every, it was other people that made me look good. And that was, in my case, I was a lot, like you've already said, it's a lot of assistant coaches. There's a lot of swimmers that swam with me. And it's uh, a lot of people who, you know, gave me inspiration and gave me uh, uh, sort of the, the pathway forward that took time to sit down with me and, and explain things that uh, when, when this business major didn't understand what they were talking about. I mean, I still, you know, with Peter Lynn out here in San Diego and Bob Grosseth back in Charlotte, I mean, I have these, these very wise people around me that still are feeding me with information about you know how to move through the water and how to make a design a design a set with more purpose and uh i love learning this kind of stuff and and uh, that's what i love about coaching yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask you you know what what are a couple of absolutes that you have to have every day in in practice um but beyond that i think what how do we get better like what how are you how do we get faster? You know, like the world records are pretty quick. And every time you see a world record, you think to yourself, wow, that's not going to get broken for a long time. But then the next day you're trying to break it. You're trying to get better. You're trying yeah. to get faster. How do we, how do we get faster now as humans? Well, the easiest way is to get better athletes in our sport, but you know, that, that, uh, that, that, that's something we still can do. We, we aren't getting the best athletes in the world in our sport. Maybe you are in Australia. I think because it's, it's got the, that recognition. I hope the ISL and professional swimming brings more that kind of attention to our sport. Certainly the era of, of, of uh, Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte and Katie Ledecky and Simone Manuel, that's bringing a whole type of another athlete to our, at least in the United States, to our sport. But still, uh, our sport tends to be really boring, Brett. You know, when, they, when we get mm -hmm. kids that come to our team and they're 10 years old and they get told to do eight 200s freestyle, they're not liking our sport, Brad. They're yeah. going to quit our sport, mm. and we need to make it more interesting. We need to make uh, it understood that when you get when you capture a young person, teach them just to love swimming. Teach them to love the experience of coming to the pool. Then, when they're 11, 12, 13, 14, teach them great technique. Teach them great technique, like teach them how to do great distance per stroke, driving leg kick, and then start pressing on the training. And then you can start, and you can match that up with their motivation as well. I try to. I try to then you start moving them toward high school swimming and then they walk around the high schools with their letter jacket and they feel like there's somebody special, but all that stuff is, is, is steps and processes. So I think that's one of the key ways we get better is not lose great 10 year olds because every mom and dad want their child to learn how to swim. So Brett, we have them in our sport. They're, they're learning how to swim somewhere. So the next step is why can't we just move them right on to, 
uh, a summer league swim team. Those, that's probably the best way because they all love summer league swimming. You know, uh, uh, Mark Nesda out, out in Phoenix now, he's, he's got 16,000 kids to swim in Atlanta in his, in his different summer leagues. That's swimming for fun. That's where the parents are going in and they're, they're with their neighbors in their neighborhood. That's the foundation of USA that, that makes such a big difference. Then you move into USA swimming. Sometimes it gets a little too serious too quickly. And so I think that's one of the ways. And, and I'm a little bit worried about the, the emphasis, the, the difference now in short course and long course, because uh, short course yards has never been diff more different than right now than, the, than long course meters, because, because college coaches who are great coaches have figured out how to use underwaters, how to use the power of walls much more effectively than I ever knew how to do when I was coaching short course yards. But at the same time, that doesn't translate to long course meters. I mean, how can 129 and 130 turn of freestylers not go 145 long course? Because back in the day, if you were going 133, you were going 147 in the 200 meter freestyle. And so that's something I'm a little bit worried about. And then I would say the final thing would be uh, just new, new, and figure out new ways to, to explore something in the water. Today, for example, I was uh, I was going over to, there's only one beach left open in San Diego, but I was going over to it with uh, Kathleen and Alyssa, my daughter, and, and uh, they were going to go for a swim in the ocean because that's the only place they can swim right now. And I was going to go surf while they were swimming. And, uh, and, and the waves were really big. So I said, well, why don't you guys go out and, you, and they have wetsuits. And that, so why don't you guys go out and, and uh, swim out about, you know, 300 yards and then start swimming in, or catch waves to come in and then swim out against the waves. And when we got back to the shore, I was talking about, like, have you ever felt that fast? You're in a wetsuit and a waves, you're, 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 you're skimming along the bottom of a wave. And I said, that's what you need to figure out. What's, what's, what's happening when you're doing that? You're higher in the water, you're moving faster. How are you holding your body position to do that? So there's all kinds of ways, Brad. I don't think we're anywhere near as fast as people are going to go. It's, uh, and, and especially long course, I think there's going to be, a lot of the uh, amazing swims in the coming years out of super talented physical, you know, freaks, you know, and, and Caleb Dressel, the fact that he can jump like he jumps. I mean, that's part of why he's really fast is he's a hell of a good athlete. He would have been a great linebacker outside back, let's say a, a D back for the Florida Gators. If he wasn't a great swimmer for the, the Gator, he was going to be mm. something great in sports. Mm. And, uh, and, and between that and, and learning how to manage, help young people come through our sport where they love it and we don't lose them, especially the talented ones. I know out in California, we lose a lot of kids to water polo. And now water polo and swimming really don't do things together. When, once they go to polo, most of the time now they're not coming back to swimming like Matt, Matt Biondi would. You know, so they're, they're sort of choosing that and they're going that direction. They're not becoming better swimmers by being uh, in water polo. They're becoming better water polo players. And so all around the country, we have all these different kinds of challenges we're going through for, our, for the benefit of our sport. And at the end of the day, I think we all believe, and I, I certainly believe that swimming is the best sport for young people. It's, there's, I just can't imagine a better sport where there's better people you're around, the uh, delayed gratification, the, go, the, goal, uh, the goal process that they have to go through, the for sure plateaus they're going to hit and having experienced the struggle of plateaus uh, I, I, and, and getting comfortable in the water. You know, it's, it's a lifelong sport that, that out, of, out here in San Diego, people swim in the ocean all the time. And it, there truly is a life, lifelong sport uh, when, when it gets a, a benefit that way. Yeah. 
Well, listen, man, I appreciate it. Uh, I've been trying to pin you down, like I said, for a while, and I'm so glad we did. Um, I mean, we talk all the time, but to, just to record it and he hear other people uh, in on, on you speaking, I think is really powerful for them. You've always been one of the type of coaches that is very open to, to other coaches, so I know that you, you love it when other coaches reach out to you and you have this group, you know, this group text that we're all on here that um, you're always feeding us information and ways that we can get better. So, um, so I would encourage any, any young coach to, to certainly reach out, but um, listen, man, you've been a huge factor in my life. We could talk for days. So um, we'll, we'll come back at it again. Uh, I guess when swimming kicks back in, in gear, you know, we can really get yeah. into maybe some of the finer points of maybe what you're doing with yeah. the team and things like that. So there's a million different ways we could, we could cut it, but um, appreciate your time, man. You bet, Brenton. And uh, as uh, Dave Dennison said to the group yesterday, that was when he was talking to the uh, to the Stingray kids uh, on on the, a Zoom call, uh, he, he said, "Don't don't forget to tell people that you love that you love them." And Brett, love you. Very proud of you, and really glad to see you uh, doing this and uh, and living your your best life right now. So continue good work with the uh, Fitter and Faster Clinics and with uh, this and all the things you've got doing because. Man, you're gonna you're gonna do a lot of great things for all of us out there. I appreciate, it, man. Love you too. So um, we'll we'll catch up soon, right? All right, very good. All right, see ya.